Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for Siobhan right now, uh, stepping into this opportunity here to share your word with us. Um, God, what a timely word it is as she speaks on joy this morning in, in a time where maybe some of us are feeling the heaviness of all the things that are happening, not only in our own lives, but also in the world. Um, God, sometimes it can be difficult to even talk about joy, let alone think about how to have joy uh, when the world just seems to be full of so many dark things and our own lives, so many complicated things. So God, I just thank you for her and the word you've placed on her heart. Uh, as someone who's been able to hear just the little bit of notes that she's had in these past few weeks as she's worked through this message, I know that you're going to speak through her. So we just ask that your spirit be upon her as she shares with us this morning. I thank you for her willingness to do this. I ask for your peace on her as she shares as well. And I pray for us that we would be receptive to your message, what you want to say, God. I pray that uh, Siobhan's voice would be your vessel to speak your truth and wisdom into our lives. So may we be receptive, God. Open our hearts and our ears our minds and our hearts to receive your word this morning. So I thank you, Lord, and we lift this uh, up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Aaron. Okay. My name is Siobhan Berry, and I'm a member of Lambrick Park Church. Uh, as Aaron said, you've landed here in the middle of a sermon series entitled Fruitable where nine speakers plus Aaron, who's already spoken from within our congregation, have been invited to speak on the fruit of the Spirit as listed in Galatians 5. Uh, Today, I'll discuss the fruit of joy, and it will be part teaching and part testimony, and I hope it helps us hear God's voice in needed ways today. We're gonna start in Galatians 5, 22 to 25. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit." The word of the Lord. What is joy? Psychologist and theologian Jim Wilder says joy is not a static state of mind, but a dynamic relational experience. A wellspring of delight between God and his creation, between two minds who are glad to be present with the other. Joy is the deep sense of well-being we receive as we experience God's chesed, covenant love, as Lewis spoke on last week, God's goodness and God's grace. Galatians 5, 24 to 25 gives us a path to good fruit, to this dynamic relational experience called joy. 
We are to crucify the flesh, live by the Spirit, and walk in step with the Spirit. Joy is the fruit of obedience and discipleship to Jesus. Let's pray. Living God, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, may this time be an act of praise for who you are and how you save. Thank you for this invitation to speak. Empty me of my own selfish desires to please or to impress. Help each of us hear your voice and receive your word. May the seed sown today take root in us and produce the fruit of joy. Amen. What is the dying self, the flesh we must let go of, or as Paul says, crucify? On February 15th, 2018, I sent a four-page email to Scott, the senior pastor here, explaining why I was angry at the Big C Church and at God. I attended Lambrick off and on for a few years, but really knew no one until I joined Rooted, a church-wide 10-week Bible study supported by small groups. After it was done, our group transitioned with the church to a new series on Philippians, also known as the Book of Joy. Paul's repeated call to rejoice in the Lord irritated me, and so I wrote. I sit in church and small group, and I want to be real. But if I open my mouth, this deep anger will all come flying out. I feel like everyone wants to move forward and live in the joy of God, but I am still stuck here. Cynicism paralyzed my faith, or perhaps the edge of cynicism, which Paul E. Miller calls defeated weariness. Defeated weariness happens when life betrays us and we withdraw, afraid to expose our wounds again. We feel overwhelmed and unable to move, full of doubt and unable to dream. Cynicism and defeated weariness have this in common. They both question the active goodness of God on our behalf. That's by Paul E. Miller from A Praying Life. How did I, a pastor's daughter, who spent her child declaring Jesus is her savior, get here? Two isms, a naive optimism and perfectionism. I bought into our culture's belief that we can buy joy and the intimacy we long for with a new car, new shoes, a big house, a dream job, the right partner, and a well-designed social media post to match. If, we're, if we maintain our can-do attitudes, no matter what life brings us, success is sure to follow, joy is sure to follow. 
Did you know that Jesus came so I could live a perfect life with a perfect family where I'd work a perfect career and attend a perfect church? How empty this philosophy becomes when we face the shadow of death, when we face evil. I wrote the email in a collision of darkness. In hindsight, I likely had postpartum depression. Felix, my third son, arrived six weeks early and he spent a week in the NICU. This followed a season of working four different jobs, pregnant and very, very sick. Over time, my I've got this spirit deadened and I retreated into myself and I found anxiety, bitterness, and resentment. I felt alone. Writing the email to Scott opened the dam and a flood of childhood trauma swept over me. I'd been a bystander to sexual and emotional abuse since I was 17. When my younger sister, my younger 15-year-old sister, met a 25-year-old man at church, and the abuse started almost immediately, they later married, and no matter how much I prayed or how I tried to help, nothing changed. I felt powerless. As years passed and trauma compounded, I felt betrayed by my family, my friends, my church, and most significantly, by God. I even pleaded, please, Jesus, my heart is so hard and I don't want it to be, but I can't soften it on my own. And I was right. <laughs> It stayed hard, and I shelved my faith and the problem for a later date. I stopped praying, and I rarely went to church. But something pushed me a decade later to write to Scott, and I said, quote, I want a new narrative. I want this to be healed and I want to know who Christ is. I want to feel the joy of community, but to be honest, it also terrifies me. Uh, he replies, and I'll read part of it. And lastly, although I don't know what it will take, I do trust that your journey with God doesn't need to end here or be stuck forever. I hope and pray that we, some of Lambrick, can be the stretcher bearers who help you find your way to the restoring grace of Christ, to be able to walk again in faith. It was the right response, but the last line triggered me. No, that's okay. I don't need a stretcher. I'll walk myself there. Thank you very much. <laughs> when we're stuck in cynicism, how do we let go to experience joy? 
Joy, like love, at its core is other-directed. If we can't see past our own story, delighting in something or someone else outside of it is difficult. God is the source and the very essence of joy. He places a desire for real joy in our hearts so that we might see our need and receive grace. Joy and grace share a common etymological root. The Greek word for joy is kara, and the Greek word for grace is charis. Kara means inner gladness, and charis means the unmerited favor of God. Through God's favor, boundless grace, we find the inner gladness, the joy we've been looking for. We find it in the presence of God. And it's a mutual delight. Our God is the God of lost things. He searches for us and overflows with joy at our return. But it doesn't mean joy is easy. As Jesus names in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Greek word for blessed is makarios, and it implies peace, comfort, stability, but also great joy. So Jesus' words might be read, joyful are the poor in spirit, joyful are those who mourn. Does this mean we should enjoy suffering? Absolutely not. But when we lose the mask of perfection and control, we become open to real joy and real intimacy with God. After emailing Scott, I'd tell my small group, and they, they would receive, over time, a storm of all my questions and thoughts through email. They, they didn't always know how to respond, but I'm thankful they did. Week after week, we met, and God slowly chipped away at my cynical passivity and nudged me to step into obedience and trust. There are so many stories, but today I'll share about the branch God asked me to let go of. Days after I listened to a sermon on the rich man who refused to let go of what he was holding in order to follow Jesus, I went to the beach with my kids. As we packed to leave, my eldest son begged me to take home a huge branch. Not, not a small piece of driftwood, but a legit dead arm of a tree with, with diverging bare branches. I can't believe I said yes. Uh, when we arrived home, I grabbed the beach bags and my youngest son and went inside. My eldest could come inside on his own. Time passed, and I didn't see him. Instead, a loud wailing and weeping from the direction of the van reached me, and I ran outside scared and found my son in the trunk trying to pull the gnarled branch over the back seat. 
Mud covered his face and tears streamed down his cheeks. Through sputtering sobs, he cried, I can't move forward. I can't move forward. I can't, I can't move forward with this branch. And I swung wide the van doors and I said, let me help you. Let me take the branch out for you. I opened the trunk and took the branch out for him. To be honest, I, I don't even think he played with it. Uh, but, but the Holy Spirit hit me hard and I went straight to my knees. It wasn't a dove descending beautiful handover. It was a mud all over my face weeping, gripping onto my dying self handover. I didn't want to let go of control, of the belief that I could save my family, that I could pull that gnarled branch over the back seat and out the side door myself. Grief feels like death, and it takes time. I didn't know emotional trauma could hurt so much, hurt your physical body so much. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. This death is hard but being stuck, clutching our dying selves, leads nowhere. Jesus longs to heal. Uh, turn with me to Luke 13, 10 to 17, to the story of Jesus who heals a crippled woman in the synagogue. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, and she could not straighten up at all. She's in the background, invisible. If seeing her suffering is interpreted as proof that she's unworthy of God's goodness. The author of Luke says she's crippled by a spirit, which suggests that the experiences of her life, whether physical, spiritual, or emotional, weigh heavy on her. She is crippled in spirit. She believes she's unworthy. She cannot look up, not at all. But Jesus saw her. And he called her forward. And she comes. She pushes through the crowd, and all she sees is feet and the clouds of dust they create. But his tone of voice called her to keep walking, to put one foot in front of the other. And in that moment, she doesn't care what anyone else thinks. Suddenly, Jesus speaks again, woman, you are set free 
from your infirmity. She hears, but she doesn't see. Her eyes are still fixed on the ground. Then the warmth of his hand touches her back. Surprised, she wonders, is he actually touching me? It will make him unclean. He is close, so close. But before she can give it another thought, she's staring straight into his eyes. In 18 years, she hasn't looked anyone in the eye, and these eyes are bright with joy. Jesus laughs as if to say, it's true, you are free. Standing tall, she's overcome. Tears fall from her eyes, laughter erupts from her gut, wild, passionate praise, despite the 18-year journey. But cynicism sits in the crowd. And cynicism can't see joy. Instead, the synagogue leader says, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. In other words, you should have come on another day or in another way. Jesus condemns the leaders. He doesn't blame the woman for her suffering, and he doesn't deny it either. If an ox or a donkey can be led to water on the Sabbath, should not this woman, who suffered for 18 years, be set free from what bound her? He grieves with her, and then he names her. Daughter of Abraham. She is an heir to the kingdom of God, worthy of his attention. The synagogue leaders lost in their own ideas about social norms, their rules and regulations, miss the very reason anyone goes to synagogue for spiritual renewal and healing. Of course, this is where she should be healed. Of course, today is the day she should drink living water. And the people were delighted at all the wonderful things Jesus was doing. When I wrote that first email, I believe God wanted my face in the dirt, humbled with a bent back and the weight of the whole world on my shoulders. Defeated weariness enveloped me until the Holy Spirit reached into my story and took that branch from my tense but open hands. Aaron reminded us two weeks ago that to be fruitable, we must abide in the vine, live by the Spirit, and trust that God is a good gardener. But how do we abide? Paul E. Miller says this, one of the best ways to learn how to abide is to ask anything. Jesus added the qualifier, abide in me only once in the six times he told us to ask anything. His primary concern was to get us into the game. Start asking, 
Don't just ask for spiritual things or good things. Tell God what you want. And before, before you can abide, the real you has to meet the real God. Ask anything. I repeat, before you can abide, the real you has to meet the real God. Ask anything. God met me in the middle of my grief when I saw my own broken story and dying self as it really was. I thought, okay, it's done, I surrender. And then a whisper, but can you pray into your story? I fell to my knees again. It is too much to ask God. It will hurt too much when you say, not today. But strengthened to obey, I asked my church to pray with me. To pray for rescue. Rescue for my sister's children. Torn between two parents in the midst of a needed divorce. I lived terrified that the kids weren't safe. Social services were involved, but there seemed little that we could do. My hands shook as I typed out the prayer. I said, I need God to answer this more than I've ever needed anything. I need God to be bigger than my imagination, but I'm afraid he isn't. And the Holy Spirit helped me pray over and over And over again, God is way bigger than our imaginations. Within months of starting to pray, my brave nieces told the truth to their mom, told her about their dad's continued abuse. And it was then that I'd see so clearly the need for stretcher bearers. God picked me up out of my pre-rooted Bible study isolation and surrounded me with men and women who loved Jesus and were eager to pray. When everything I'd ever feared happened, we weren't alone. My niece's bravery to speak saved their siblings and led to their father pleading guilty and being sentenced to prison. God rescues. Like, really rescues. Acts in the middle of our stories and miracles happen. And yet, if God is a good gardener, why didn't he rip this out at the root before anyone got hurt? I don't know. The pain remains and the story isn't over or instantly fixed. 
We all must walk through it and some days be carried through it, one day at a time. To pretend everything's okay is to hide the strength of two young girls who told the truth and it set them and their family free. God heals and he calls the crippled in spirit to stand tall. But this joy is not detached from suffering. It can't be. About a month ago, Daniel McDougall spoke about joy, and he said it's found here, but also on the horizon. There will be a day when there are no more tears, no mourning, only laughter and dancing. But until then, we're called to walk, not alone, but in step with the Spirit. I read way too many books on joy for this sermon. (laughs) I love to research and be challenged, but in truth, the joy of God is not found in finding one more insight. As Scott replied in his email, it's in learning to walk in faith. A couple weeks ago, I decided to drop my morning Bible study and walk up Mount Doug instead. I walked every day for a week and a half. The first time I reached the peak, but I couldn't see anything underneath the clouds. The white billows were beautiful, but they hid everything else. The next day, I woke up too late and could only make it partway up before turning around. One morning, it misted rain. The next, the sun sparkled through the trees. Then I traded an early walk for a late evening one and a friend joined and I huffed and puffed because her face was much faster than mine. Each day brought a new experience and each day was a gift. At first I worried this adventure wouldn't be safe. But I quickly realized I wasn't alone. So many people walk, run, bike, stroll or push up that mountain every morning. My pace is slow. One man who I saw often ran up and then down before I'd barely begun. But there were also people slower, taking pictures with their camera or simply a few steps behind. Perhaps some of them felt safer because I was there too. Have you ever thought your own story was the only hard one. On my last day, because I knew I'd need to start writing this sermon, I reached the top and it was gorgeous. The sky was blue and there wasn't a cloud in the sky. In the mountaintop cup, it was just me and two others, a father and a daughter. They sat beside each other quiet, taking in the view until the father nudged his young daughter and said, see that mountain? That's Mount Finlayson. Remember when we climbed that one together? And I smiled because it mirrored my own thoughts like God through this sermon is teaching me how to remember and where to look for him. 
Jesus knew both the beauty and the weight of this call to walk. Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus walked bent up a hill with a cut branch on his back. Why? To restore joy for us and for him that we might know the, know the joy of real discipleship, that we might know we are God's people, sons and daughters. He carries this branch for all who will receive for the flourishing of the whole church who is called to follow in step with Jesus, to see the crippled in spirit on the sidelines and call them forward so they might stand tall when they can't stand at all to carry them by stretcher to Jesus. This road isn't easy. It involves real pain and real suffering, but we do it for the joy that God has set in our hearts. I said I wanted to know the joy of community, but it terrified me. It still does. I'm not hurt proof, and you aren't perfect, and neither am I. Real relationships are incredibly hard. But I look out today, and I know I couldn't stand here without you, without Lambrick Park Church, and if I'm honest, without the churches that came before. We aren't meant to dance alone. And the church, church, as messy as it can be, is worth fighting for. Like Jesus said to the synagogue leaders, of course, of course, this should be the place where we are healed. Of course, this should be the day. We need a better definition of joy than the result of attaining perfection or experiencing the newest pleasure. Joy is found in the middle of the dark. It draws us to Jesus, to grace, who pours himself in abundance over our deepest wounds and invites us, the church, to do the same for each other. For God's joy and for ours. I'll invite the worship team to come up. Dear Heavenly Father, I've shared so much of my own story this morning, but I know every person here and online has a story too. Places in their lives that need a good gardener. Show us how to let go. Call us forward that we might meet the real you. Make our hearts ready for what you would do among us and walk with us and build your church. We're glad to be present with you. Amen.